Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. This is part B. Now we're entering a new era of the end times where it seems to be happening again. The entire world is coming together, forming a single, one world religious thought. Oh my God, my child's a millennialist. It's like no matter what you say or what you do, you can be a powerful preacher, maybe not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you try to say or do, this generation seems to be labeling you and non-affected by your words, as I'm sure was the race when Noah was trying to convert a handful of people probably before it started to sprinkle. None of them received it. You're sitting in this pew tonight because you were considered savable. You are a descendant of the ark. What a gift and what a privilege. Genesis chapter 9 verses 22 through 26. If we're really going to hang on to understanding what we are faced with with this generation and maybe the next generation coming, Generation Z, we have to understand some of these earlier stories like Noah. The best way to illustrate this is at the story of Noah and his boys, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders, walked in backward, covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see the father's nakedness. When Noah woke from his wine... He knew what his youngest son had done to him. And he said, Curse be Canaan. A servant of the servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. The number one thing that this particular generation, the millennial generation, suffers with is that they will be a slave to no one. They will not be a slave to their parents' church. They will not be a slave to the parents' belief system. They will not be a slave to their cultural 
laws and guidelines and the list keeps growing from there. They have detached themselves because they will be a slave to no one. No one's going to tell me what to do. Now we have an entire human race that is saying no one is going to tell me what to do. So those of you who have been a part of discipleship ministries, and I've talked to many of you, you are very concerned with how difficult it is to get someone to stay engaged in discipleship. They'll get to a certain point and they simply flip the switch and say, now you're getting a little too strong. Nobody tells me what to do. Now they may not come out and say it with the words, although many are that bold. They just simply disengage. Coming back to the father and the identity. As soon as they disengage from the father, chaos is ignited. As soon as they disengage from the the church, chaos is ignited. They start throwing gas bombs. They start doing a lot of the things that we are seeing in this generation that is carrying peace signs. You know that broken cross symbol that they put on t-shirts? Broken cross. It's not peace. It's war. They're the most violent people on the face of the earth. They're opinionated. They're loud. They're rude. They're corrupt. And they're very dangerous because you don't know what they're going to throw at you or at the president. We are in a culture that is so sheltered by the reality of what's happening in this generation that they don't want it to hit the news too much because it would literally depress you if you understood how out of control this generation is today. Let's take a look at our next slide. We are just now springing forth from a generation that honored the basic infrastructure of family life that was biblical in its foundation, whether it was Christian or not. You had non-believers basically respecting a man of the cloth, I believe is what they called it. If a preacher did wear one of those white collars, and those are not just Catholic priests, but if a preacher did wear one of those white collars, it was an outward symbol of the early preachers to say that they are a man of the cloth. And they would have instant respect from drunks, from violent people, respectful people. They just had an instant respect. Well, that is gone. Preachers have been in the news so much have fallen that... This generation, this millennial generation, has basically said, well, they're no different than I am. They detached. That's when chaos broke out into the culture. Some say we have already lost our country, and I would agree with them. It's already on a downward spiral. The issue for us as indwell believers and disciplers is we have to be there for them when they decide, I want to come back to the 
father. The prodigal son story is not coming back to the brother. It's not coming back to the farm. It's not coming back to the bank account. It's coming back to the father. Adopting once again the father's identity of the father's culture. That's what united him and that's what the father was listening for. The prodigal son looks at his father and says, I have sinned before the father, meaning of heaven, and I have sinned before you, my father. He is confessing there is no difference. That authority and honor starts with God the Father. Jesus is respected by you and I because he is of his Father. The Holy Spirit is respected by you and I because the Holy Spirit is 100% obedient to bring to mind Jesus' words, not its own. When you have a preacher that does that and a mommy that does that and a daddy that does that, it builds loyal, faithful followers of children. They don't spin off into a modern, fashionable culture. They stay with the culture of the father. And he stays with the culture of his father. And so forth and so on. So for centuries now, family life was as traditional as the authentic, original Bible itself. Centuries where the church provided the identity and infrastructure for culture. That is up to 1982. In fact, it wasn't until year 2000 that our sociologists were faced with the reality of our dilemma today. You and I both hear testimonies from mommies and daddies and others of the crisis we're in. You can literally walk into communities and feel a cold chill. You look at the town itself and read the newspaper and you see it's a highly religious community, but for some reason it's cold. We experienced that in Europe in general when we were there, but particularly in one particular country, we felt it as cold as ice. And they claim to be the father of American Christianity. They told us that. Standing by a statue of the man that they believe founded Christianity in America. And now, I didn't say anything to our tour guide. I certainly wanted to. But if I would have said to this tour guide, could you then explain to me why your country is considered the most anti-Christian nation in the world. If that's what you gave our country, take it back today. But yet they worship their statues of these early Christians that came to their country and formed this denomination that did take over America. They're very proud of it. It's not the leaders, nor it is what the leaders believe that forms God's culture. It is God himself. And that's why a lot of the earlier preachers in our country, for example, Pastor Williams, who founded Rhode Island, now also one of the most 
anti-Christian states in America. But he was sent away from working with Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and many of the Christians that were working on the Declaration of Independence. And he was right there with them, and he was a Baptist preacher. This is American history, 101. And they didn't like what was coming out of his mouth. That there's only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the only way you're going to get that is you're going to have to have a born-again experience. They basically gave him this dumpy little island and made him governor over this dumpy little island, which is now called Rhode Island, figuring that it would keep him out of the way. And that is where, my dear listeners, is where the born-again movement of United States of America was birthed. You could not suppress this preacher. And that's what you have in our country today. You have either born-again believers or you have Christ-follower believers. It's the only two divisions of Christianity. And that's where it came from. Because of this dilemma, we're going to keep writing on this topic. So I say this to be consistently going to the website, see if we're posting new articles that will uh, be available for you to review and send your comments to us. But as I was in the process, which we're very close to submitting to the publisher over the next few weeks, but as we were finishing the new book, The Father, Authority of the Trinity, Refuting a New Kind of Christianity. Jane pointed something out to me as she was reading the finished product, at least until she got hold of it. And she said, this is a great book, but you'll never get a millennialist to read it. It's too absolute in truth. So I realized that something has to be written that is going to actually appeal to the millennial readers while we combat what they're doing. And that's where we're going with this particular series. So, honor. I'm going to give you a couple slides here before we quit. This is basically where we're going to start is with the word honor. When we had this character by the name of Lucifer make that simple decision to detach from the father and the father's identity, it took something motive-wise within his being to step out with that level of arrogance. And it was honor to dishonor. Now you're just going to be rude. Until that motive is manifested, you'll probably stay intact with the identity of the Father. Here's the craziness about this. 
If you address a young person who has to wear the tennis shoes of a famous sports person, or they have to wear the same kinds of shirts, or whatever the fashion may be, they have no problem agreeing with the fact that they are replicating an identity of another human being. No problem. But for some reason, as a collective generation, culture, they have a huge problem with the idea of staying attached to the God of the universe. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. So they separate them. They say, well, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe that Jesus is God. I get that all the time. Or I don't believe that you can actually have the Holy Spirit living inside your mortal body because that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, look how people act. Look how preachers act. That didn't even make sense. And they're right. It is the greatest mystery to have the Holy Spirit living inside of a corrupt human body. It is a great mystery. It takes an unbelievable amount of grace that our minds can't even wrap itself around. But they have separated the personhood in order to attach their own identity, worldview, on each one of the triunes. So God the Father becomes a universal God. Well, he is a universal God. He's just not a universalist. So Jesus isn't the Son of God, but he was an awesome prophet. We love him and respect him. We sing songs about him. There are certain songs. My wife caught me one on this last trip that we took. She says, honey, do you, do you know who you're listening to? And so she explained to me where this worship group came from. I said, you've got to be kidding me. They're universalists? And I'm riding in the car singing praises with them. You see, the discernment level is very, very difficult because they are honoring Jesus. They're singing about Jesus, but they don't call him God. It's happening all over the world. So they separate the identity of each one of the Godhead when in reality they just don't want to accept the fact that Jesus' identity is the identity of his Father. The Holy Spirit's identity is the identity of Jesus. And preachers are to behold the identity of the Holy Spirit. And then the preachers to be teaching the heads of homes so that the identity is passed to their wives. And then the wives' identity is to be passed to the children. And then the children pass it to their dogs. They keep creation intact. Not evolution. That's how this happened. This whole evolution thing happened because of what I just explained to you. There's not much science in it, but there certainly is a lot of theology. So, as I have sat back and reviewed all my studies and research on the millennial generation, I found two words that continue to stand out, dishonor and rebellion. Now here's our fact for today. There's a major, major difference between modern and pictorial Hebrew. The difference between modern Hebrew and pictorial Hebrew is significant. The Hebrew people took it upon themselves to conduct 
five major revisions of the ancient Hebrew scriptures. It all started with pictorial Hebrew, which was proto-Canaanite, and then to the early Phoenician, it moved its way into the pool of Siloam, and then to Aramaic, and then to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and finally ended up being modern Hebrew. So when you open up your Strong's Concordance, and you look in your Hebrew references, that is modern Hebrew. It is five layers away from pectoral. Identity comes from image. So it's not surprising that the very first language was based on images. The more intellectual that Satan has made the languages the more difficult it is to understand identity of that culture. Next slide tells us in modern Hebrew, we find the meaning of honor being kabad, which means to promote, to make rich, to make one heavy, weighty, or higher. In the pictorial Hebrew, we find the word honor, kaf, bet, vav, These are all pictures that are inside this same word that cannot be defined by a single word. Modern Hebrew, you can define it by a single word. Pictorial Hebrew is normally a sentence. So the difference we have is this. Kaf means to cover, bet is family, vav is to nail or secure, and delet is the pathway to enter. When we sync the individual letters that make up the word honor, we have this sentence. To cover the family by nailing or securing the pathway for entry. That is the number one job of a head of a home, is to nail down that sentence. Literally. It's not simply to promote someone or make them higher than someone else. It's a mission. To be a man of honor, you have to be a man of mission. This meaning provides for us a couple significant insights. One is to enter the presence of authority. We first must consider their position as higher than that of ourselves. Secondly, we must cover their position of authority by making the pathway to them secure. Next week and weeks coming, we are going to dice this down into culture. Honor, dishonor, rebellion, obedience. We'll probably lose a lot of our listeners even after this particular episode because I've given away the secrets of where we're going. And it's going to take truly the spirit of the living God for us to want to learn the roots that are behind identity proclamations in order to find out what has happened, oh my God, to my child. If you just want the quick answers, go take a parenting class and try to fix the fix that God's got fixed on them to get them fixed from always trying to fix their culture. 
They're in a downward spiral. Get your oil can out and oil it. Help them go into that dark cave so that they may embrace through their darkness the light and life of Jesus Christ that has no human explanation and meanings to what he means by what he says. He just says it. He doesn't provide you a dictionary. These dictionaries in the back of your Bible were man-made Most of the definitions, to be perfectly honest with you, do not match pictorial Hebrew. Nowhere close. Dictionaries are made up by men. I thank Daniel Webster for all the work that he did, but all he did is went around from house to house and said, what what do you say boat means? What do you say? He just studied the cultural words that were being used by many religious people coming from other countries and he put together this dictionary. They're made by men. To truly understand the scriptures, you have to have the Holy Spirit giving you the Father's definition inside your mortal mind. Outside of that, you have to always study, 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 trying to figure it out through books, 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 And the writing of these books are endless and the devotion to these books is weariness to the body. We've created a huge crisis. And most people are so tired that when they hear about the crisis, they lock up spiritually, psychologically, and even physically by taking actions to turn this guy off. And they're just switching things up. It's too much. I need peace. Well, go buy a peace symbol t-shirt. Let's see how well that works for you. Because it won't. The enemy's pushing for peace, peace, but there is no peace. God is the only peaceful source, and there's only one way to get to him. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Identity is found in the structure of the creation of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and his creation of man. To dishonor his creation is to dishonor the Creator and his appointed representatives of his authority. So please stay with us for our next installment episode of, oh my God, my child is a millennialist. As we take these two words, uh, dishonor and rebellion, and we get into the Hebrew roots of family life and into the roots of the type of family that exists today. But I will close with this statement. The reason why, mommy and daddy, if you're listening and you're one of these individuals that has said, oh my God, my child's a millennialist, and they grew up in your house, and you trained them in all the proper and right and righteous things of the Holy Scriptures, and you look at your, your son who stops in and gets his laundry washed, mom, and you look at your son and you go, who is this? And where's my son? that I spent 18 years of my life 
investing the holiness of the living God in this child and he's off worshiping three gods at one time. What happened to you, son? Where are you? That's what we're addressing. And that child looks at the mother and says, what are you talking about? Sounds like your church again. Here's what happened. They unplugged from you because you stuck to the American standard at 18 years of age, your child's an adult. At 18 years of age, your child is an idiot. If they have detached from the living God, and if you pushed them out the door when they were 18 years of age because they were of legal age to be out on their own, you messed up. They were not ready. And plus, that 18-year-old son should have dedicated his workforce life to his father and his father's business. So for years to come, as Jesus himself had to stay with Joseph until he was 30 years old, to maintain the identity of his father. And if you don't think that God had a big deal about the identity of Mary and the identity of Joseph through the generations, you haven't read your Bible yet. Jesus stayed with his father's identity until his father died. When Joseph died, he could not serve two masters. That is when his ministry was to be born. And he moved his loyalty to God the Father. He didn't become 18 years of age and sprout wings and say, I'm going to prove to my dad I'm just as good as a carpenter as he is. Totally forgetting that in his bones is the identity, the DNA of his father. So they unplugged, thanks to you, and they plugged into a family. Are you with me? They plugged into a family, a global family, who they call their brothers and sisters. Now the culture itself that Satan is working on has not been unified completely, so we still have subcultures. You know, the white are still hating the black, the black are still hating the white, the yellows are still hating the... You know, it's all still going on, but it won't be very much longer. Because you'll either unify under one single family, or you die. That's the end times. There will be a forced family belief system put intact, but they won't even get it at that point. They don't, won't even realize, well, I could have had that with my daddy and my mommy with, with the real church. But now I'm being forced to be the son of a religion that I'm not quite sure about, although I've been promoting that for years now. So children will rise up and kill their parents. They try to pull them out of this and vice versa. They're already plugged into a family. They have lost no family. They just unplugged from you and plugged into another family. That's what they did. Anyone who tries to communicate you, they are their own person. They have their own views. 
They're lying. No human has the ability to do that. They're just sucking the, the juice through a straw out of someone else's cup. That's all they're doing. While they call themselves independent. Well, how'd that work for Satan? How's his independence working for him? Here's the irony of this whole thing. He really thinks he has the ability to come up with his own religion. He is truly an idiot. He knows what the price tag is of him knowing the truth and not taking action upon it, the true definition of idiot. An idiot is not a dumb person. They're, they're not uninformed. An idiot is someone who is well-informed and they unplug. That's this generation. 602-292-2982. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.